0: Hey, what's up everybody, welcome to Catholics with Bibles, the podcast dedicated to empowering Catholics to read, interpret, and pray with sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I'm your host, Chase Kraus, let's dive in. What is up everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of Catholics with Bibles. Again, I'm your host, Chase Kraus. And I wanna start off with, uh, I'm gonna admit something. I accidentally lied last week. So last week on the podcast, uh, for those of you listened, uh, I said that this week we'll be diving into Genesis three. Um, but then I kind of also said that yeah, but we'll also do a little bit more on original unity, which is Genesis two. Um, <laughs> but you know, preparing for this this week's episode and you know researching, studying, reviewing. And just you know all the content I was coming up with on original unity, y'all. We are definitely not going to get into Genesis uh, three <laughs> today. Uh, we're, I really, I want to talk about uh, original unity uh, because there's just I mean we 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 briefly touched on it last week, um, but there's just so much more uh, that can and should be said about it that that St. John Paul II uh, does say about it. And to do it justice, we're gonna we're gonna stick to it. Uh, a little bit more. And um, for those of you watching, you'll see me, um, but I I have obviously um, the theology of the body here, uh, the book right next to me. And I'm going to be quoting uh, a bit more than usual today, just because there's just so many nuggets within the text uh, this week. And, you know, a lot of it, you know, I can still, you know, kind of paraphrase and, and, you know, talk about, but you know, there's just no way I'm ever going to try to fool myself into thinking that I can say some of this stuff better than Pope St. John Paul II, because he just says it so beautifully. Uh, But at the same time, he does say it at a kind of a higher academic level. So uh, throughout, you know, this episode, when I do quote things, uh, when I quote him, uh, we'll spend some time unpacking what he says, uh, because sometimes it's a bit more um, heady uh, than a lot of us are used to reading. So real quick, going back to the text here that we're going to zoom in on, namely Genesis 2, 15 uh, through 25. Also, didn't forget about the Greek or Hebrew word of the day, but it, it's still isha or ish or adam from last week because we didn't move on in the section. And obviously, there's more Hebrew words in this passage, but those are the three words that JP2 really zooms in on. So remember, adam, uh, adam, just means man or mankind or human. Uh, ish is male, Isha is female. So, just as a review, and if you weren't here last week, then, then there you go. You'll a new word. Um, so, real quick, let's dive into just as a review, chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, 15 onward. So, we read The Lord God took the man, Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for himself. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field for the man there, but for the man there was not found a helper fit for himself. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man. And he slept. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh and the rib, which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and cleaves to his wife and they become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay. So yeah, there's just so much here, uh, but we're just going to, we're going to look at a few, uh, just a few different uh, parts. Uh, the first thing I'm going to do is actually uh, start with looking at with JP2 at this idea of Adam falling into a a deep sleep. So I'm actually just gonna quote uh, JP 2 here. Uh, This is from his um, eighth audience. I think he said it in 1979, way before I was born. Not gonna tell you how old I am though, Um, 1979. Uh, And so his eighth audience, uh, he says this. If one then supposes that a certain diversity of vocabulary is significant, one can conclude that Adam, man, falls into the tupo, or that's the deep sleep, the poor in order to wake up as male and female, ish and isha. In fact, it is here in Genesis 2:23 that we come across the distinction between Ish and Isha for the first time. We talked about it a little bit last week, right? Perhaps, therefore, the analogy of sleep indicates here not so much a passage, from con- a passage from consciousness to the subconscious, but a specific return to non-being. Sleep has within itself a component of the annihilation of man's conscious existence. Or to the moment before creation, in order that the solitary man, Adam, may by God's creative initiative re-emerge from that moment of sleep in his double unity as male and female, a little bit later on he says, "If by analogy with sleep we can speak here also of a dream, we must say that this biblical archetype allows us to suppose as the content of this dream a second eye." Ah, oh, it's just it's, I mean, just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Um, so what is he, what is he talking about here? So obviously, the the in JP two calls the prelude of the creation of Eve, we, we have this passage that, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. That was original solitude we talked about last week, right? So there's two dimensions of original solitude. There's this idea that, or the fact that man was just alone with God, right? Just alone by himself with God. Uh, but there's also this idea that man for the first time, it thinks about himself, right? He is different than all of the other beasts and birds, mankind, humanity, there's an original solitude there. There's this searching, there's this longing, right? And so after naming all the animals, naming all the birds and all these things, there's no, there's no helper Uh, that that's a, this It's going to also be old English just helpmate, right? There's no helpmate for him. Uh, There's no helper for him. So, you know, God causes him to fall into a deep sleep. And we briefly talked about last week too, um, you know, talking about this story was it literal? Is it is it you know figurative and metaphor? Uh, what is it? And, and putting all those questions aside, you know uh, Saint John Paul II talks about this uh, analogy of sleep, right? This this idea that while yes you sleep, you go from being conscious to unconscious, right, or the subconscious. Yet you know JP two he says he says that oh skip skip my quote, <laughs> Flipped to the wrong page. He says. Sleep has within itself a component of the annihilation of man's conscious existence. So in this, in this analogy of sleep, it's as if God having, having already created Adam, mankind almost destroys in order to rebuild, right? It doesn't kill Adam. Adam, He obviously wakes up, right? But it's this, we see what, you know, JPT is going for here. This, this sense of man, humankind, Adam becomes, Conscience becomes aware of himself, becomes aware of his, his uh, relationship with God, his relationship with other animals. And he looks at his body and realizes his body doesn't make sense. And so what the heck is going on? And so he, God puts him into this deep sleep. And then, you know, from his rib came Eve, right? From his rib came Eve. And this is when he wakes up and like we talked about last week, he, just the, it's actually the first human emotion recorded in Genesis. It's this idea of total exaltation. At last this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You know, Isha, right? From out of Isha she was taken. So this woman, this spectacular moment, this magnificent moment for Adam. Why? Well, JP2 calls it the uh, communion of persons. Uh so it's this idea that Adam, having been searching for meaning, right? He was searching for who he was. He, he was aware that he was. He was aware that he was in isolation with God and with animals. Yet he was searching for who he was. Who, who am I? And he w- was missing the mark. He couldn't, he didn't know. It was only after Isha, right? Eve, woman, was, was made that at last, this is bone in my bones and flesh in my flesh, And it was through this communion of persons that Adam discovered who he was, right? So it's this idea of communion of persons that she was made for him, literally, so that he could find out who he was. And he, in turn, existed for her so that she would know who she is. So they found out who they were through this communion of persons because they were each made for the other. This, you should hearken back to, hearken back, wow, what a word. It should make you think about this, the, our original hermeneutic of gift, right? Namely that man, being the only creature God willed for himself, can only find himself through a sincere gift of self. That is JP2's starting hermeneutic, his lens, right? Mankind, Adam, is searching for himself. But he can only find himself through a sincere gift of self. So it's only after the creation of Eve that Adam finally knows why he exists. He exists for this woman and this woman exists for him. It's a reciprocity, right? It's a give and take. And so finally we have this helpmate, right? We have a help made like unto himself, right? Uh, we have this, uh, going back to Genesis, right? So we see that, or is it? And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man had, had he made into a woman, Isha, and brought her to the man. Then the man said, at last this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife and they become one flesh. So finally, we have this this being, this other person like unto himself, distinct from himself, obviously. And that 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 obviously, I'm saying very, like literally like they were both naked and felt no shame like it says in Genesis 2:25 uh, so adam looking upon eve eve looking upon adam in their nakedness seeing the obvious distinctions between the two bodies yet in that moment also realizing like oh yeah our bodies complement each other our your body doesn't make sense by itself my body doesn't make sense by itself you were created for me. I created for you so that the other may know who they are truly meant to be. You know, just as a, as a, a side tangent, um, one, one of the things that I think that this is the right, reason theology of the body is so prevalent to our time. This is not just me making this up. Uh, you know, you hear this from Christopher West a lot and the, his uh, people at the theology of the body Institute, you know, uh, the LGBTQ plus, you know, community, all these different, you know, sexual identities, what is it well it's a search for identity it's who am i who am i meant to be um because if you know i don't like if i'm not sexually attracted to you know the opposite sex i must not be whatever right um and this is you know, we're not I'm not chasing the rabbit too much but you know they're searching for identity they're searching for for who they are you know what's the purpose in life who am i meant to be Yet I think, you know, by studying theology of the body, we see that we find ourselves through a sincere gift of self, right? We find ourselves through a sincere gift of self. And don't get me wrong, like, I can't imagine the hardship and the struggle and the cross that that must be to have a same-sex attraction. Um, Yet at the same time, I know I have friends who have same-sex attraction, right? Um, Yet are devout Catholics who love the Lord a lot. And they have found themselves, They've found themselves as a son or daughter of God only after they've given their lives over to Christ, right? And that, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean it's super easy for them all the time. Far from it, right? My wife and I have a lot of friends who they, they struggle almost daily yet by constantly giving their lives over to Christ, by giving of themselves fully they find themselves in, in the eyes of the father, right? So kind of backtracking a little bit here and walking with JP too. Um, Going back to this communion of persons, once again, another quote here. And it's just so good, y'all. I just can't, I can't not read it. It's just so good. Um, So uh, we read in, this is actually the ninth audience. So the ninth audience was given uh, in the same year, in November, 1979. We read this. We can deduce that man became the image of God, not only through his own humanity, but also through the communion of persons which man and woman form from the very beginning the function of the image is that of mirroring the one who is the model of reproducing its own prototype man becomes an image of god not so much in the moment of solitude as in the in the moment of communion he is, in fact, from the beginning, not only an image in which the solitude of one person who rules the world mirrors itself, but also an essentially the image of an inscrutable divine communion of persons. Okay, what'd you just read, Chase? Well, he's talking here by kind of summarizing Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2, they're, they're different sources. Yeah, we have the, you know, the Yahweh source and the priestly source. Yet they complement each other. Why? Well, in Genesis 1, we we remember we talked about mankind is defined by its relationship with God. In the image of God, they were made male and female. He created them, right? And so mankind is defined by his relationship with God, Genesis 1. Genesis 2, man finds himself only after seeing Eve. They find themselves through their communion of persons. And so JP 2, going back to this passage, is bringing these two conclusions together. Because remember, theology of the body, it's a theology. It's the study of God. This is not just a study of sexual ethics. It's the study of what our bodies and what, this, what the Bible and these key passages is telling us about God. Well, what is this passage? What are these passages telling us about God? Namely, that God is a communion of persons who is eternally loved. And we have been created to mirror that reality, Right? We are here to mirror that reality. So once again, he says, man became the image of God, not only through his own humanity, but also through the communion of persons, which man and woman form from the very beginning. So man, we're not just in the image of God because we exist. No, like we have, a, we have an intellect, we have a will and that way, we, yes, we are, we are made in the image of God. But in a deeper way, when we, become, when we enter into a communion of persons, The Trinity is a communion of persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the two shall become one flesh. The Trinity, three persons, one nature, one divine being. We are not, uh, we don't believe in multiple gods. There's only one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's, I just thought about chasing that rabbit of like Trinitarian theology. I'm not gonna do that. We can talk about Trinitarian theology another time. Uh, maybe in their next mini series, when you look in the gospel of John and texts like that. But anyway, for now, just take my word for it. Take the, the Catholic church's word for it, that the Trinity is three persons, one nature, one divine being, not three separate beings, not three different parts of one being, but truly one being, three different persons. And Adam and Eve finding themselves through the other, finding out who they're meant to be through the other, by looking at the other, they come together in the conjugal act and the two become one flesh. No longer two, but one. Mirroring God. Mirroring God. We are made in the image of God. So that when we come together in the conjugal act, in the conjugal union, we are in a very corporeal way saying that we are participating in God's very reality in this way. And that's why it's so beautiful, it's so amazing. Um, and once again, this idea of being one flesh, right? Original unity. It's the last thing we're going to talk about today. It's this idea of, you know, humanity. When you, when you come together in the conjugal act, you, you bring all of your humanity to it, including the blessings of fruitfulness. Right. Um, and so this is, once again, I'm about to read another quote from JP 2 after fighting my book to not raise the pages, um, And it's this idea of when you, when you fully give of yourself to the other fully and totally with no barriers between in the conjugal union, you're bringing your entire self and your fruitfulness, right? You're not holding anything back. That is truly when you become one flesh and mirror God, because God holds nothing. The father holds nothing back from the son. The son holds nothing back from the father. And so in the conjugal act, we should also hold nothing back from our spouse, including our fruitfulness. And so JP2 goes on to say this. This is a longer quote, so bear with me. When they unite with each other in the conjugal act so closely so as to become one flesh, man and woman rediscover every time and in a special way, the mystery of creation. Thus, Returning to the union in humanity, flesh from my flesh and bone from my bones, that allows them to recognize each other reciprocally and to call each other by name as they did the first time. This means reliving in some way man's original virginal value, which emerges from the mystery of his solitude before God and in the midst of the world. The fact that they become one flesh is a powerful bond established by the creator through which they discover their own humanity, both in its original unity and in the duality of the mysterious reciprocal attraction. Sex, however, is something more than the mysterious power of human bodiliness, which acts, as it were, by virtue of instinct, right? Animals have sex. On the level of man and in the reciprocal relationship of persons, sex expresses an ever-new surpassing of the limit of man's solitude, which lies within the makeup of his body and determines its original meaning. This surpassing always implies that in a certain way, one takes upon oneself the solitude of the body of the second eye as one's own. So what distinguishes our conjugal union from an animal's? Well, one, it's not just instinct, right? All animals reproduce by instinct. But for us, it's seeing the other as another, as truly bone in my bone and flesh in my flesh, as truly another person and taking on this second eye that we dreamed of as our own, the second eye. The two shall become one flesh. It's no longer two, but one. And remember, we're, all of this is going back to answer the question of the Pharisees to Jesus, right? Why, why did Moses allow divorce? And Jesus said in the beginning, it was not so. And why is divorce with all of this wrong? Well, JP2 goes on to talk about this idea of choice. If we go back to the text, in verse 24 of chapter two, therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and cleaves to his wife and joins with his, or joins with his wife and they become one flesh. What do I mean by this? Well, this is and this is JP too. This is not just it's not Chase. Uh, You naturally belong to your parents. Obviously, they are they birthed you. You are literally half of their genes, of both of their genes, right? You naturally belong to them. There's this idea of growing up that you know part of the reason you owe respect to your father and the mother besides just because the Bible says. Uh, is because I mean, they, you you are, you are them to a certain extent. They they are you are you are theirs, right? Uh, and this is a very natural thing. This isn't something you choose. You can't choose your parents. And a lot of you probably know this really too, like all too well. You can't choose your parents. Um, but when he leaves his father and mother and joins to his wife, that's a choice. That is something he chooses to do. When he chooses to leave and become one flesh through the conjugal union, that is a choice. And when that choice is fully made by each party, fully, and they come together in one flesh, they choose it, that is union, that's marriage. And it cannot be broken, like Jesus says, because you've chosen it. This is why uh, in the Catholic Church's understanding, uh, if two people come to be married and one is forced into the union, um, and then, they, but if they end up going through the celebration, and even years later, having kids or whatever, um, and if w- the one forced into the marriage finally comes forward the, and presents their case to the church, and the church finds it true that they were forced into the marriage, uh, it's a it's they're they're given the rights. Uh, they're they're given a declaration of nullity, an annulment. Right? What is that? It's not divorce because divorce is impossible through what we just studied because you've chosen to become together in one flesh. Rather. The church is saying you were never married in the first place because one party did not choose it, right? They were forced into it against the will. There's a lot of other grounds for annulment. We're not going to get into that. Um, but once again, this idea of original unity God is a communion of persons, giving them, the father totally giving himself to his son, the son fully giving himself to the father. And when the two shall become one flesh, it's in the conjugal union that we mirror like JP two says the reality of the Trinity. This is theology of the body. We are learning about God through the body. And so the conjugal union is, is once man comes together, you can't like Jesus says, you can't separate it. The the divorce is not, it's not a reality. It's impossible because the father and the son can never be separated, and the conjugal union is is based upon the union of the Trinity. Uh, so next week uh, we're gonna get into this uh, verse of uh, being naked without shame, which is the very end of chapter two. Uh, we might get into chapter three. I'm gonna stop guessing where we're gonna go with this um, because you know I might just want to spend a lot of time on one one verse. That happens sometimes. But anyway. Hope you've enjoyed this episode on Catholics with Bibles and this idea of original unity. Uh, Once again, if you want to study more on uh, theology of the body, there's tons of books out there. You can always read Man and Woman, He Created Them. Um, Christopher West has a ton of content that's really, really beautiful, really, really good, and very orthodox as well. And so let me know if you have any questions. Love to answer them for you. Until then, we'll see you next time on Catholics with Bibles. God bless. All right, y'all, y'all know the drill. If you haven't already, please subscribe, leave a review. It helps people find us easier when they search Catholics with Bibles. Thank you so much for uh, listening to this mini-series. I hope you've enjoyed it. Love your feedback in any way. You can contact me through the St. Teresa Catholic Church uh, website, sctaustin.org. Find my email there. We'd love your feedback. We'd love any comments or questions that I could field for you. That'd be great. I'm here for you guys. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time on Catholics with Bibles. God bless.